We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Welcome to the uncontested post-game playoff podcast edition. I am your host for tonight, Justin, joined by Jacob. It's the new PPE, the playoff podcast edition. Mm, I like it. I'm here maybe for maybe not PPE. as important as the other PPE. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll see. Uh, Oklahoma City falls to the Houston Rockets, one eleven to ninety eight. Before we dive into that just uh, tremendous game, we are proudly part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the official podcast of BoomtownHoops.com. If you don't already, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore uncontested and Facebook at the uncontested podcast. Okay, now it's time to talk. Thunder lose. Again, down 0-2 in the series to the Rockets. This is where we'd normally say at least they get to go back home to Oklahoma City, but they don't. How are you feeling? Uh, I mean, it's an 0-2 <laughs> that about hole. Sums it up. I, yeah, I'm, you know, we, we know this team isn't going to be around long as yeah. far as like, you know, next year I think this team will look drastically different. We know they're playing with house money. We know yeah. they, you know, Quote, we weren't supposed to be here, 0.2%, yada, yada, yada. But <laughs> it just sucks whenever you watch a team you enjoy lose. And it really sucks when you watch them lose the way they lost today. Like, game one sucked, but they just got their asses beat from the right. word go. 
Yeah. Tonight they lost because like they played good and then they just had this really shitty stretch yep. that just tanked them. And it's really frustrating to see guys like Lou Dort come in and be awesome to see Shea Gilgis Alexander show what kind of a star he can be and go off for 30 in the playoffs on better than 50% shooting and then still see them lose because of the reasons why they lost. So for those who maybe didn't get to see the game or see the whole game, uh, this one went a little bit differently than the first game. Like Jacob mentioned, the first game kind of a wire-to-wire butt-kicking by the Rockets. Uh, This game was close for most of the game until the fourth quarter. Um, Actually, if we back up to the third quarter, Oklahoma City went on a really, really rough stretch to start the third. Uh, They scored two points in the first seven minutes of the third quarter, while the Rockets scored 16. Not ideal. Team could have folded, but we saw a little bit of the Thunder fighting spirit, and they went on an 11-0 run of their own, and they actually were up one point heading into the fourth. The problem was they started the fourth quarter exactly like they started the third, but they didn't have the 11-0 run to back it up. So they start the fourth quarter uh, losing a 15-2 run to the Rockets, and that was pretty much it. James Harden came back in. Most of that run was with Harden on the bench, which is not ideal. Harden came in, had Dennis Schroeder on him, and Schroeder was not able to contain James Harden like Lou Dort had, and that was pretty much all she wrote. So to your point, Jacob, Oklahoma City was in this game and in a position to win this game and even the series up until, you know, a few minutes into the fourth quarter, and then it was just a terrible string of basketball on both ends of the floor that led to them ultimately losing by a a fairly wide margin. Yeah, and so I know the start of the fourth quarter was rough, but I think it started at the end of the third, and... I know Chris Paul didn't play well at all. I know Steven Adams wasn't good at all. But the the guy running the show at the end of the third and the beginning of the fourth who made tons of just boneheaded plays, bad shots, turnovers, poor passes, and bad defense was Dennis Schroeder. He was Schroeder, just bad. Man. Like I know the the plus minus for Chris Paul is like eye popping. Same thing <sighs> with Steven right. Adams. Like I get it. But when Schroeder kind of, quote-unquote, tried to take over the game there at the end of the third start of the fourth, I mean, he had, like, a really shitty pull-up. He had a fast break where he tried to, like, drop it off for Baisley, and it was just an awful pass that went off Baisley's knees. He had a pass to Shea that just got intercepted because he wasn't looking where he was passing it. He got blown by on defense. Like, Schroeder was bad. Like, the box score, Chris and Steve were bad. I test, Schroeder was just awful. Yep. I, to- I wholeheartedly agree. And I think Schroeder, we've seen it from him a few times this season, I feel like, where when he has a bad stretch, he definitely is the type of guy that tries to play his way out of it. And sometimes he's able to, but other times it just becomes this kind of like avalanche of bad decision making. And that's what we saw today. And I honestly felt like he should have been pulled sooner because, like I mentioned, he's going to try to play his way out of it. He's not going to start deferring. And so the longer you leave him in there, if it's not reversing, then he's just going to continue to make bad decisions. Totally agree. And sorry, I didn't know you were going to stop talking. <laughs> I just put a Ritz cracker in my mouth. <laughs> Eating Ritz while podcasting is a very bold choice. I respect it. Uh, so I will keep talking so that you can eat Ritz and probably take a drink of something or you're going to be spewing crumbs all over your microphone. Um, you mentioned Chris Paul. Chris Paul has not had a good series. It, he started 
a little better, but it was very brief and dissipated very quickly. Like you mentioned, the the eye-popping stat. Now, caveat, we know single game plus minus. You can't always you know take away a ton from that, but anytime you see a minus 36, it's going to get your attention. Minus yeah, 36 on the evening. It was bad, and Chris just looked bad. Like he just he didn't play the past two games. He hasn't played like the Chris Paul that we know he is. And what do you think that is? Do you think that's because it's the Rockets? Is he pressing too much? Do the Rockets know his tendencies because he played there and they know how to stop them? Uh, or I think a little bit of its tendencies. I think a lot of it is the switching defense is throwing him off. Yep. Um, we have a Twitter question about this later, but these guards, the three guard lineup, has thrived. Because they run a pick and roll with Steve, they get a mismatch and they just torch people in the mid range with the pull up. Yep, and There's that no is mismatch. not here in this in this series. Like it just that cannot happen because they don't they don't number one they don't run a big number two they switch everything. So yep, you can't get that that big man on you that's going to sag off because they don't want to get blown by, and then you can operate in that mid range and that in that little sweet spot, that little soft area there in the middle. It it doesn't exist here, and I think that's throwing them off a bit. I think that's a great point. And I wonder how much of the defensive scheme, you know, we've heard a lot of talk about how D'Antoni is employing a man-to-man defense that looks like a zone. And it's an interesting concept. And I wonder if some of that comes from Intel of when he coached Chris. Like, is there something there that he knows is going to be an advantage against Chris Paul specifically when he's leading this team that he feels like that defensive setup is going to frustrate him more than something else. It's it's definitely something interesting to consider. It doesn't feel emotionally based like we're so used to seeing with Russell Westbrook where when he plays certain teams or certain players, it's just it becomes like a, a head game a little bit. It doesn't feel like that. It definitely feels much more strategic. Um, but regardless of whether it's mental or strategic, uh, Chris Paul has absolutely struggled. And you mentioned the three-point guard lineup. We've talked about Schroeder. We've talked about CP3. Both of them not playing well. On the other hand tonight, Shea Gilgis-Alexander did play well. Um, well is had, an understatement, Justin. He, he, he had a really rough first game. I actually saw some SGA slander on Thunder Twitter, which yeah. probably one of the first times we've seen that this season. But tonight he came back with a vengeance, uh, 31 points. On 9 of 17 shooting. Yeah, 31 on 17 shots is ridiculous. Yeah. 10 of 11 from the line. Added on six rebounds and two assists and one steal for good measure. Yep, only one turnover and a plus seven on the night. Um, Three of seven shooting from three as well. He was way more aggressive. He got to his spots. He forced the issue. We're seeing him draw more and more fouls, which is encouraging. Yeah. He hit those two threes in the third, and we've seen Shea, whenever he does something good on a basketball court, he always has like that really big smile. Yes. He hit that second three, and he was like mean mugging. And it's I was like, uh-oh, y'all done goof best. now if you got Shea pissed. <laughs> like he's ready to go. And it then awesome. Schroeder said, hey, I'm going to shoot the ball 15 times and miss oh, them all. Um, Shea was awesome. Uh, it was great to see him be more aggressive. His post-game comments, he talked about how he wasn't quite ready for the way that Houston switched everything. Um, a little concerning if you watched any film on Houston. feel like you should have expected that. But regardless, his, his response tonight was much better 
uh, he he looked like you said much more aggressive, and you can really see that come to life through the free throws. Like like we said, ten of eleven from the line. That's a huge difference from game one. Uh, he yeah, he took more free throws, throws than anyone else in the game. Yeah, in a game that James Harden played. <laughs> that's a great point. Harden only took nine. Um, that's a big difference. Yeah, um, and and so I I mean I could not be more happy with Shea's performance. There were times tonight. I don't know if this is a hot take, Justin, because Ooh, everybody talks about how Shea is so good. He's got this potential to be this all-defensive player. I think he's been pretty below average defensively all year. I don't and, think that's hot. And I think he was very below average to bad in game one. But tonight, there were some plays where he really dug in and he moved his feet and cut his man off, uh, Eric Gordon, and, and played... I think a lot better defense tonight. I think he's still too slender, and people just bully him whenever they get yeah. going downhill. Guys like Eric Gordon, but I thought he did he did pretty fine tonight um, defensively. There were some bright spots, so that was good to see. I agree. I mean, Eric Gordon, uh, six of twenty for yikes. fifteen points. So I he thought was Shea, maybe the only one that you could say yikes to his stat line yeah. for the Rockets. Um, I mean. Shea was absolutely awesome. You can't ask for anything more. To drop 31-6-2 in a playoff game, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very excited about how he played. Let's talk about defense for a moment since you brought it up. Uh, huge improvement overall for the Thunder in that regard. They Compared to game one, they looked like they were closing out sharper. They were getting to the shooter quicker. That doesn't mean the Rockets didn't have some open looks. They're the Rockets. They're always going to get some open looks. Uh, but I thought overall the Thunder defense was better. And we talked about this a little bit on our halftime periscope where we talked about it was obvious the Thunder strategy was to uh, pack the paint, not allow Houston to get easy looks at the basket and make them beat you from three. That strategy looked a little suspect in the first quarter where Houston uh, made all their threes, basically. Uh, but the second quarter, uh, things evened out a little bit. They missed almost all of their threes in the second quarter. And the strategy, I think, worked for the most part until, like like you talked about, um, the Dennis Schroeder experiment in the late third to early fourth quarter where we talked about his bad decision-making on offense, but his defense was equally as bad. Uh, he could do nothing on James Harden. And that really kind of was the catalyst that made the plan fall apart. But overall, I thought the defense was an improvement. Yeah, no. Um, Houston shoots 34% from three tonight on freaking 56 three-point yes. attempts in the game, That's which incredible. is wild. Um, they made 19 of 56. The Thunder made 11 of 32. Uh, about the same percentage, uh, but Oklahoma City got outscored by, what is that, 24 points from the three-point line? That's pretty massive. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking on the, the philosophy, it seems, yes, that they're trying to stop guys from getting to the rim because Houston just killed Oklahoma City on driving to the rim and kicking out. But tonight, they were much better this afternoon, whatever it was. Right. At, at Whenever Houston got into the lane and kicked out, the Thunder were much more aggressive on closing out on those shooters and then making them swing it, and then that just buys a couple of seconds yeah. for the next defender to rotate over and then the next guy to rotate over. And that defense is hard to play because you have to work your ass off so hard. Like, 
If Harden gets by you, the guy on the weak side has to rotate down. Harden kicks to the weak side. Everybody's got to rotate. Everybody's got to communicate. And if you're just jogging over there, it's a three, right? You have to go hard every single time, every single rotation, all the way down one through five. And so it's really hard to play that way defensively. I thought they let the ball get a little ahead of them in the first quarter, and, and Houston was just splashing threes. And then after that, though, I mean, like you said, the strategy worked. I think that's the way the Thunder want to play defense against Houston. The only thing I wonder, we saw, I mean, I saw at least three separate times where somebody was guarding a wing on the perimeter, that wing would drive, and Steven does not have quick enough feet to rotate in, Mm -hmm. to step in front of the guy driving. He instead just kind of leans and reaches, and that puts Steven off balance and out of position, and it doesn't stop the driver. So I wonder if we're going to see a little bit of an adjustment as Mm -hmm. far as going a little bit smaller at times and allowing the Thunder to be able to switch a lot as well. I like that. Uh, that's an interesting strategy. You're you're using a little bit of Houston's game plan against them with their you know their lineup versatility. I think you you feel okay with switching because you know you're not going to get the drastic mismatches of bigs on guards and things like that because they don't have that drastic difference in their lineup. They're all pretty much wings, um, so you can kind of employ that same strategy. You mentioned Stephen Adams. And I want to talk briefly about his health because he seemed kind of gimpy. Did you get yeah, he went too? down. He went down in that first half and came back up, and you could just see he was limping. Yeah, and after that, just wasn't running right. Uh, j- just didn't look great. And it makes me wonder: Are we ever going to get a healthy Stephen Adams in a playoff yeah. series um, ever again? Uh, or ever, I guess. <laughs> but I I hope it's maybe not you'll see a, a healthy maybe yeah maybe you'll see a healthy Stephen Adams next year in the playoffs whenever he's playing for like the Boston Celtics. <laughs> that would fit the trend. Um, yeah, it it concerned me a little bit. Um, you hope that he can rebound and be ready, especially with the shorter layoffs between games you know this is typically where you'd have a couple nights off because you'd be traveling the series would shift back to Oklahoma City you don't have that now and so Oklahoma City plays again on Saturday they get a day off and then they're right back at it so you hope that anytime there's an injury like that that they can recover quickly and won't have to miss an extended period of time yeah because when he looks good he looks pretty good against the Rockets I think the the problem has always been with Adams whether it's game plan or whether it's just Adams his aggressiveness in the first quarter never matches the rest of the game and he came out at the beginning feasting and we've seen it so many times where he looks great for the first five minutes first 10 minutes and then he just disappears and we saw that again tonight and we talk a lot about how this is the type of matchup where Adams just has to destroy the offensive glass. Right. He had three offensive rebounds tonight, but give it up to Houston. They have been doing an absolutely phenomenal job of whenever the Thunder shoot, getting five guys on the yeah. glass, blocking out Steve, pushing him out of the lane, uh, and refusing to let him beat them on the glass. And that's it's not like, oh, Steve just needs to try harder. It, it's the model of what Houston is doing, sending all those guys to rebound, and they're doing a really good job at it. Yep. Every time the ball came off the rim, there was just a swarm of red jerseys. Yeah. Uh, so they're definitely making up for the lack of size with a increase in quantity of bodies. I also want to talk about, on the flip side of the ball, the offensive movement. Uh, this is something that has really stood out the last two games. Uh, it looks like 
the KD and Russ, KD and Paul or Russ and Paul George, uh, pick your duo. It looks like the offenses that Thunder fans are so uh, scarred by, where you have one person dancing around and everybody else standing around, and not a lot is happening. The problem is this team doesn't have Russell Westbrook. This team doesn't have Paul George. This team doesn't have Kevin Durant. And so it doesn't work. That schematic can work if you have the star power to overcome it. Um, but the the offense has just looked so uncharacteristic. Do you think it's strictly that Houston is switching and they, they can't get the success in the pick and roll that they're used to? Or do you think there's something else? I think it's a lot of that. I really do. And, you know, I thought tonight the movement was better. Uh, it wasn't great, but I thought it was definitely better than game one. Um, you especially saw plays where, like, Shea would get in the paint and then kick out. Yeah. Um, th- this team does well when they they can, just like any NBA team or any basketball team, at regardless of level, if you can get the ball into the heart of the defense, it collapses and you kick, and then you can drive off those and whatnot. You know, it, it's hard. I mean... Even whenever they throw the ball down into Adams or into Gallo in a post-up situation or an ISO situation, it's like everyone else just stands. And whenever you just stand there, you are making the defensive job for the other team so much easier. Right. Because they can stand there and just watch the ball. Right. They don't have to worry about you. Where if you're cutting or if you're setting a back screen off ball or something, you're at least making the defense think about multiple things. Right. Too much of these past two games, the Thunder have not made the defense think too much. They're just allowing the defense to sit there and watch the play. Well, and I think that that bleeds over into so many facets of the game, not just, you know, defensive help and rotations, but also think about rebounding. If all you're doing is standing right inside the three-point line while your man stands in the corner, you can watch the ball, and as soon as the shot starts to go up, you can crash the board and you're ready and in position. But if that player is moving around, if they're screening, if they're cutting, you might not always be in the best position to get a rebound. So the ripple effects of being stagnant on offense affect every part of the game. And the Thunder have got to do a better job of having all five guys engaged, of making the defense work harder because if they're not going to be able to get their bread and butter in the pick and roll, then they need to do more to overcome that. And so far, they've not really been able to do that. Definitely. And we've seen this team thrive on cuts. Like Lou Dort always gets backdoor cuts, kind of like what Andre Robertson yeah, used to right. do. We see Shea and Steven had a good like give-and-go backdoor cut uh, chemistry going. they got to get back to more of that. And I would expect to see... Uh, Again, it it got better from game one to game two. I think we'll see it get better again from game two to game three. I wholeheartedly agree. Anything else you want to touch on before we have a brief break? Uh, Nope, because I think everything I want to talk about is coming on the other side. Perfect. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. That's visit 
That's NFLSundayTicket.tv. Use promo code BLUEWIRE. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action. There's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners at Bet Online. Check out all their odds, futures, and prop bets to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Horry. See what they had to say on what it's going to be like playing without fans in a series that they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. And remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your next welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, I want to get into some questions because Let's do it. I'm tired of making up things to talk about, and you guys are awesome and always send us a ton of questions. I have to start with a question from our boy Manus2010. Manus, I don't know, Manus. Send us a DM and correct our pronunciation. All the way from Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, question that says, with the high level of play and tight competition in the bubble so far, is it safe to say the eventual NBA champion will not have an asterisk after their title? For context, you know, we've talked about, we and others have talked about, you know, the bubble being what it is and being so strange and not a normal season. You know, does the eventual champion get a bit of an asterisk next to their name? But seeing how the bo- how the basketball has been played so far, do you think that there will be an asterisk or do you think it'll be regarded as, you know, a legitimate title? I think regardless of the competition, some people are always going to say, oh, they were the the bubble NBA champs, right? But there's just so many layers to it. Like in the playoff, so so the the seeding games, obviously all highly competitive because they're all good teams. Uh, You get into the playoffs, it's just so different. There's a playoff game every other night instead of once every two or three nights. Um, there's no home court, so there's really no energy to feed off of. But on the flip side, you're not going into hostile environments. Right. Um, just so, you know, your you're, no travel uh, plays a role in it. There's just so many different facets to it. I mean, I'm going to regard the ch- whoever wins the championship as the rightful champion and no asterisk, and, and they went down to the bubble and they took on this unique situation and won. But I think regardless, there's going to be some people that still come up with excuses. Well, you even have – we've heard some talk about you know it being a shooter's gym or even some reports about the rims being kind of soft, things like that, that if you want to get real nitty-gritty, there's so many reasons why this season wasn't normal. But what I think is interesting is, you know, think back to not the same situation at all, but think back to 2011. Uh, that season was shortened because of the lockout. You know, that wasn't a normal season. That was LeBron's first title. That was Oklahoma City making the finals. When you talk about those two events, I don't think anybody talks about the fact that that season was 66 games. Like yeah. when you actually stop and look back at it, the only time the Thunder ever made the finals was a 66-game season. LeBron finally won his first title in a 66-game season. There's a reason there could be an asterisk there, but I don't feel like it gets brought up a ton. And like I said, not the same situation, but I, I could see people, you know, poking at it, especially depending on who wins. Yeah. Uh, poking at it in the 
immediate future, but I think as time goes on, that'll be less of an issue. And at the end of the day, if you got the Larry OB in your trophy case, that's all that matters. Yeah, I'm with you. At Lukewarm Take Man asks, can you talk about Billy Ball regular season versus postseason? Seems to me to be the most important and consistent trait of the last few years with the Thunder. Billy hasn't been good in the playoffs. I love Billy Donovan, but in 2016 in that finals run, yeah. I mean, he coached a hell of a playoffs. Yeah. And then since then, it hasn't been like that. Nope. And, you know, like take tonight, for instance. I I understand. I, I can see both sides of it. From the coach's perspective, you want to do something that you've done a lot, that your team is really good at, uh, that you have faith in, that has been consistent for you, and that's running the three-point guards. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed like tonight, Schroeder needed to come out and Dort needed to go in in yep. that final five minutes, and it didn't happen. Now, all of us are sitting on our couch, you know, <laughs> not making millions <laughs> right. of dollars to coach basketball, right. yelling, put in Dort, you know. But I understand why Billy didn't. But still, sometimes I think situation forces your hand. And so I wonder if we'll see that change. But like things like that, you know, it, it doesn't seem like the adjustments come as quick. Um, and, and so during the regular season, I thought Billy was terrific. It's all, it also brings up that interesting idea that, you know, the Thunder haven't extended Billy Donovan. So he's a, right. He doesn't have a job. Uh, if this team loses, if the Thunder losing five or four or six or whatever, you know, he might be out of a job next week. And so all of that is really fascinating, really interesting. Um, But yeah, it does seem like there's a difference whenever we get to the playoffs. And maybe it's fan perspective because (laughs) we put so much weight in every single playoff game. Yeah. Um, You know, you mentioned earlier, like the Shea Gilgis Alexander slander. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. That's pretty cool, though. Uh, The Alexander slander after game one. Uh, people overreact to playoff games all the time. You yeah. know, like, Shea sucks. This team's going to get swept. Everything's off. I'm like, bro, everyone said well, OKC in six or seven. Like, you get they that, make a game you get seven. You got to lose three first. You get that in regular season games in October. Um, but, but it just no, goes but up those, to But those people are crazy playoffs. people. <laughs> right. Uh, I think it, you bring up some interesting points. I think it's so tough because you do always have that 2016 season where – Billy probably made the best adjustments that anybody made against the Golden State Warriors, Sands, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, and in the, the only end, adjustment Cleveland made was getting Draymond kicked out of the series. For hey, whatever it takes, pick. whatever it takes. Um, but on the flip side, you have the way that that series ended and, and blowing the three, one lead and not making adjustments to what was happening there. And granted, some of it you can account for like clay Thompson going nuclear, but I think overall, when you look at the full playoff picture, if you want to evaluate it all together, it does get troubling. Granted, each of these series are individual series. There are different players. It's different personnel for both teams, both opponent and Thunder. But when you lump it all together, I think there, the the lack of adjustments is the biggest thing for me. It just feels like, like look at the the Utah series and the Portland series. It's like they'd get one good game, and then the rest of the series just kind of looked the same. Every game would start out, and it would just be like, yep, Thunder aren't winning this one. Yeah, and that's well, kind of how it seems like this series is trending. Hopefully, there's still chance, There's still a chance to make more adjustments and to, to fix things. So I don't want to write it off yet. 
But I think based off, you know, the last few years, I think it's definitely a fair criticism. Counterpoint. I think Billy does make adjustments and part of it is just personnel and personality on the team. Um, that's fair. Where, I think. So, so the U, let me let me give an example. The Utah okay. series. Um, yep. Go Bear was just kicking Oklahoma City's ass, and so Billy opted. I, I don't remember if he started or he subbed him in really early. Put in Patrick Patterson to pull Go Bear away from the rim. Right. right? Um, a a kind of off the wall adjustment that we hadn't seen uh, previous in in any of the games or any of the regular season or anything really where they played Patrick Patterson, which. The idea is you get a big that can stretch the floor. Unfortunately, it was Patrick freaking Patterson. Um, <laughs> right. But but trying to change up the scheme, you know. So, yeah. uh, but but then the other part of why the Thunder lost that series was because Russell Westbrook decided that uh, Ricky Rubio was the most offensive person since Osama bin Laden and had to <laughs> you know uh, take it upon himself yeah. to to get revenge and, and kind of tank that series for them, you know? Yeah. Well, that's um, what I'm saying is, you know, every series has its own nuances. Yeah, absolutely. Because Portland was a different beast. And so far, Houston is a different beast. And, and it's not to say that Billy doesn't make adjustments because obviously he's, he's the head coach in the NBA. He's going to make some adjustments. I think it's more about, is he making the right adjustments and making fair. enough adjustments? That's fair. Um, and, you know, we'll see. And we'll we'll know pretty quick on Saturday whether yeah. or not you know. Uh, and he's made again, adjustments or not. Part of it is you go with what's worked in the past. Uh, you you don't want to change things up and th- throw sure. things up to random in right. the most important games of the year. You've done this three point guard lineup since October, and it's been the most successful lineup in the NBA. And so you want to stick with what works at the same time. So there's yeah. a weird balance there, and I mm-hmm. and I get it from a coach's perspective. You know, yep. I I I don't know if this fits into any other question here, but we're talking specifically about how Dort should have been in. Yeah, I well, kind of want to. I kind of want to see a four point guard lineup with Dort, Shea, Chris, Dennis, Dort. Insert your five: Gallo, yes. Stephen, whoever. Um, Combat, I mean, Dort can guard rockets with pocket thunder. Yeah, Dort can guard James Harden. Yeah. Shea six six. You can put Shea on the Robert Covington. You can put Shea on the um, on the Jeff Green, whatever. Uh, and then your big, whoever you put in, Gallo, Adams, Nerlens, whoever, they guard P.J. Tucker, and then everything else is just basically you just switch it. Yeah. And, and let That's all four of them get out there and run it. Guys who can put the ball on the floor, who can attack the cup uh, in, in mismatch situations, et cetera. I am interested to see if we'll see something like that on Saturday hmm. night. That's fascinating. Uh, we did have a question that included Dort and his defense from at TQNClap59. Asks, would you rather sit a hot Shea for the first seven minutes of the fourth or sit Dort in favor of our other historically tremendous three-point shooters for some offense? It's a good question. Offense versus defense question. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think I go with the latter here. I would have, I, and Billy said as much after the game that he wanted Shea in earlier but there was never a stoppage in play, and he and Gallo sat at the scores table for like two minutes right. of game time, right. and Billy couldn't, didn't want to waste another timeout um, because he wasted a timeout on the challenge, which he right. should have challenged earlier right. whenever Harden bulldozed Lou. Right. But um, I Shea should have got back in. I mean, 
dude, F it. It's these guys have had four months yep. off, and this is the playoff. Shea played 37 minutes out of 42. That's a lot. Run him 40. I don't care. <laughs> right. The, the yeah. dude is 21 years right. old He's and just spent four months in quarantine not playing NBA basketball. He's ready to go, man. That's right. Yep. Uh, I honestly, with this question, couldn't tell if the phrase historically tremendous three-point shooters was supposed to be sarcasm or not. Yeah. <laughs> um, if Oklahoma City had tremendous three-point shooters, then I think you probably put them in. Um, but we don't. And I, I'm with you. I probably lean towards Dort because defense is usually more consistent, especially from a guy like Dort. Shea might have been hot. This is a fully hypothetical question, but Shea could be hot and then he could go cold real quick. But Dort's yeah. defensive energy seems to be pretty consistent. And so if if it's a tight game and you're making the choice between those two, I'd probably sit Shea, put Dort in, and uh, try to keep keep the score even till Shea can come back in. But, I think that's fair. Yeah. At Filson, Phi Ilson asks, will the first round curse ever be lifted? And I have to say, Jacob, this one hits close to home because the first round curse has existed ever since this podcast has existed. Um, oh, it existed a little bit before. This is true. This is true. But this podcast has never covered a second round playoff I know, series. and it makes me sad. <laughs> and it's a bit of a bummer. They will break the first round curse in two years whenever mm. Shea signed his extension, Ooh, Lou yeah. and Bays are starting, Talk and the dirty. Thunder have a uh, future All-NBA that, player that they drafted in the 2021 draft. Is his last name Advia? I God damn it, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. At Jared Fergie asks, is something wrong with Dennis? The man seems scared to pull up from three. What's your take on Schroeder? He hasn't been good. I mean, hasn't been good. He he does look hesitant on that three point shot. He's, I mean, it was bad in game one. It was a little better in game two, but he still looks hesitant. Uh, I know he's obviously got a lot on his mind with a, a newborn back home that he can't go and see. As someone uh, with two kids, I can attest to the mental fog that comes after the birth of a child. So I can only imagine what it's like for him right now. Yeah. So, but he just doesn't look right. Um, timid a little bit offensively. Uh, poor decision making offensively. Yep. I think he tries hard on defense, but it was just. To me, it was night and day watching Dort guard Harden versus oh, yeah. watching yeah. Uh, Schroeder, who's like 100 pounds lighter than Dort. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, just a physical mismatch. I think overall, you know, I had some concerns coming into the bubble that the Thunder wouldn't be able to rekindle the chemistry that they had before yeah. the hiatus. And now that's not to say off-court chemistry because these guys, their off-court chemistry is off the charts. But strictly like basketball on-court chemistry, I don't think it's been there. And I don't think it's just these two playoff games. If you look at the eight seeding games as a whole, yes, they had a couple games where they like blew the doors off a couple teams. But overall, this team just didn't quite and hasn't quite looked like the team of the regular season pretty much since they came back to Orlando. So I do think some of that is it's rust for some guys. I think it's, you know, pushing it for other guys, you know, Schroeder missing a lot of those seeding games, I think has a big effect on this. And I think overall the team looks a little bit closer to who they were at the beginning of last season versus, or this season. Wow. The beginning of this season compared to who they were right before the hiatus. They still maybe, 
uh, have an opportunity to find that groove again, but they better find it fast. Yeah. Agreed. I'm with you. At T-Rush 21, what's up with Steve? I feel like he barely attempted a rebound in the second half. Do we just expect Steve to be hurt for the rest of forever at this point? Yeah, we kind of touched on this. I think part of it is the health <laughs> yeah. um, that that caused I think part of it is just the Rockets did a phenomenal job on the defensive glass, preventing Steven from getting offensive rebounds. He started off really aggressive, then he tweaked that leg and he wasn't as aggressive. Um, I think whenever he gets some of those switches, though, and gets his man sealed, they just got to throw it in there. But the Rockets are so good at like baiting you into throwing that ball in the deep post mm. and then jumping yeah. that passing lane. They really take you out of what you want to do. And we haven't seen the Rockets this dialed in defensively. Yeah. And when they are, they're scary. Yeah. How much of that do you think changes with Russ? Oh, man. <laughs> Russ Russ is a freaking animal on the glass, you know? And so that makes it even more worrisome. Yeah, but if you want to point to a Rocket who's most likely to not be locked in on defense on every possession. Yeah, that's the guy. You you don't attack Russ on ball. You just have somebody cut Uh back door and you get layups. Yep. I know this because I've watched it happen for the past (laughs) decade. I've screamed at my TV while I watched it happen. Um, So on on the Adams note, at Real Brand XO, is Adams playing in game three? My vote is yes, but yeah. I think less minutes. So real quick, hmm. a minute breakdown of this game. Um, SGA played the most minutes at 37. Chris Paul the next at 36. Then Gallo at 33. Adams at 30. Um, after that, you have Lou at 25. Oh, sorry. Dennis was at 31. Adams at 30. Lou at 25. Uh, then you drop off pretty big. Nerland yep. 17, Baisley 13, Nader 10, Hamadou 3. If I were Billy Donovan, and I'm not, and that's why I'm not down in the bubble <laughs> in the safest <laughs> right. place in America. Right. Um, Hamadou Diallo gets zero minutes next game. Yeah. Um, Abdul Nader gets like three to five minutes next game. Um, Baisley gets close to 20, and Lou's playing 35 plus. Yeah. Every minute that no. James Harden is on the court, Lou is also on the court. I don't care I agree with if that. it's first quarter or the final seconds on the final shot of the game. Every second that Harden is on the floor, whenever I, I'm Billy and I see Harden get off the bench and come over yep. to check in, I'm sending Lou. But yep. back to the original question, Stephen Adams, <laughs> he played 30 minutes. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, more Gallo and Baisley mm. playing at the five and yep. Adams minutes cut down to like closer to 20. Yeah. I, I was thinking the same thing. I think that's fair. Last but not least a question we have hit on, but now I want a solution at Nate sand five. What the hell do we do since our best three players all rely on the big man switching on to them off of a pick? We've talked about it. We know it's the issue. What's the solve, Jacob? Oh, it's, I don't know. <laughs> part of it's run on offense. Get into your sets yeah. quicker. Um, part of it is off-ball movement, right? Setting back screens, setting on-ball screens, cutting, etc. Yep. Whenever one guy, whenever the guy with the ball goes to the rim, somebody on the backside needs to be cutting to the rim for an easy dump off. Um, and just be aggressive. Yep. Like, don't sit there and play with it and like try to get your guy to wiggle. Like, put your damn head down and get to the hoop. That's mm. what Shea did. And Shea yep. had 31 points on 17 yep. shots and 11 free throw point. attempts. 
It's a great point. Get to the basket. I think push it and transition. The Thunder did a better job of that. They said they wanted to do a better job coming out of game one, and they did do a better job of that for the most part tonight. Pushing the tempo allows you to potentially get mismatches because the defense isn't set. They can't set up how they want to. You don't always get the personnel in the right positions. You can take advantage of that. And then I think more movement, both on ball and off ball. You got to be penetrating and kicking out, making the defense work. Don't just stand around and dance at the top of the key and then pull up a contested shot or kick it over to, I mean, how many times did we see him kick it with like three seconds left and somebody has to throw up a shot at the end of the shot clock? You can't do that. You got to move early in the shot clock, get the defense out of position, make them work and use that to your advantage to find open looks. And one thing that they don't do well, and I think a lot of NBA teams don't do this well, is say Shea does get downhill, gets to the rim, the defense collapse, he kicks. When he kicks, he's expecting the guy that catches it to shoot, so Shea kind of just yeah. floats there on the right. on the baseline. No, kick it, and then you start running where you kicked it to. That way, when your man attacks the closeout, you've relocated to catch the ball and shoot. Yeah. Right? It's like... Yep. Everybody does this. I don't care if it's Little League, high school, college, pickup, G League, whatever. People drive, they pass, Mm -hmm. and then they just kind of float. Yep. And this is what the Golden State Warriors did that killed everybody. Yeah. Steph would drive, kick, and then he'd relocate to the corner for an open shot. Right. The play doesn't end. Your involvement in the play doesn't end after you've passed it. You have to continue to move. And a lot of NBA teams don't do that. But that's how you attack this Houston team because then someone's got to close out. Then someone's got to rotate over to protect the rim. And then you have an open shot in the corner if your guy relocated. Yep. That's a great point. I like it. We'll see what the Thunder do. They're back at it on Saturday. Once again, against the Houston Rockets for game three. Jacob, are they taking game three? Uh, yes, I am mm. not going to let my pessimism like and my depression get the best I of like me. It. They're getting game three. You heard it here first. We'll be back with you on Saturday after that game with another post-game podcast, hopefully covering a win that time. We'll also continue to do our halftime periscopes. If you don't already follow us on Twitter, so you won't miss that notification. We'll go live, chat a little bit in the middle of the game, all really in the moment and fresh. It's, it's fun. The playoffs are fun. Uh, more fun when they win. So hopefully we'll get to do that. Once again, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Check out other Blue Wire podcasts. Go to boomtownhoops.com. Sign up for the Discord. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Check us out on Facebook. We are everywhere that you are. So let's connect. Until next time, Thunder Up. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.